Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswebaptist.org. Amen. We'll go ahead and take a seat. So thankful that you're here this morning. Go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning is Romans chapter 15. So I'm going to start out with a story. When Bree and I were in the process of getting married, you know, going through engagement, marriage counseling, and all that stuff, it was amazing the amount of people who would be willing to give us unsolicited advice. Have you ever experienced this before? Here's a few things I heard. This was before we got married. We're about to get married, so this is what we heard. First year is going to be terrible. <laughs> wow. That's very encouraging. Happy wife, happy life. Kiss your hobbies goodbye. It's amazing, some of the stuff we heard. But it didn't stop there. When we announced that Bria was pregnant with our daughter Lottie, the advice started again. I'm sure you might have been there before. We heard things like, get ready to have no sleep, which that was true for a while. You better spank your children. You better not spank your children. Bedtime should be no later than 7 p.m. Bedtime should be after 7 p.m. Who knows really what's right? (laughs) But it's amazing just the different opinions, the different kinds of advice you get when people start talking about relationships, isn't it? But here's what that whole process kind of revealed to me. When it comes to marriage, parenting, friendships, just relationships in general we're kind of lost. We really, in our own intellect, in our own mind, we have no idea what we're doing. We're all just kind of making it up as we go along. And as I'm sure you've been experienced in, sometimes when we make it up as we go along, those relationships don't quite go like we hoped they would, do they? Sometimes it ends in a broken relationship or a child that you don't have a good relationship with. But the reality is, when it comes to relationships, I just kind of get the sense that we don't know as much as we think we know about relationships. We think we're an expert in parenting or an expert in marriage or friendships or whatever, but I I think maybe if we dig down to it, we're not as smart as we think we are when it comes to relationships. And so what I want to spend the next six weeks talking about, starting today and then over the next five weeks, is how does the gospel impact our relationships? Because I have a just a fundamental belief that without the gospel at the center of how you view relationships, you will never, I will never be able to live in relationships as God had designed us to live. Uh, My marriage will not be the marriage God designed it to be unless Christ is at the center. My parenting will not be the parenting style that would honor God unless Christ is at the center. So we might have different opinions about how do you parent, how do you have a good marriage, all of this stuff, but ultimately it all comes back to the gospel. And if the gospel is not at the center of it, it won't work. It just won't work. Now, that's not to say a non-Christian couple can't have a good marriage or raise good kids, but for it to be the relationship that God had designed, it must be rooted and grounded in the gospel. And what this means is that if you have a broken relationship with a family member or a child or a spouse or your marriage isn't what you hoped it would be, the gospel can restore that. 
the gospel can bring restoration to those broken relationships. Now, your actual relationship with that person might not improve because a relationship is a two-way street, but you can control your side of the street when you start living relationships with the gospel at the center. So here, let me give you an idea of what the next six weeks is going to look like. Today, we're going to do a lot of introductory material as to how does the gospel, from a foundational level, how does it impact our relationships? But then over the next two weeks, we're going to spend two weeks on marriage. The first week, we're going to look at how does the gospel impact our marriage roles. Men, do you know that your wife is different than you? You might know, I'm not sure. Women, do you know that your husband is different than you? They seem a lot more sure about that than the men do. We're going to talk about how does the gospel, how does it impact those relationships because men and women are different and the Bible has something to say about how we live with a gospel-centered marriage. But then we're going to move on to what is it, how does the gospel impact our intimacy? As a married couple, how does the gospel impact your intimacy? Then we're going to talk about gospel-centered parenting. But then we're going to move out of the family sphere and move into the church because the gospel, as we've talked about many times, greatly affects how we relate to one another in the church. A few weeks ago, we talked about how one of our core values is a gospel community. We want to be a community of people that are unified around one thing, the gospel. So we're going to talk about how does that actually affect how we relate to one another. And then we're going to round out the whole series with talking about how does the gospel affect how we relate to lost people or unbelievers. Essentially, my goal over the next six weeks is to equip you with passages of Scripture that will shape how you view relationships. Because I think if we understand how the gospel impacts our relationships, everything else will fall into the right spot. If you start viewing your marriage through a gospel lens or your parenting through a gospel lens or your friendships through a gospel lens, it will affect your relationships in a positive way. And if there's one thing all of us have in common, it's that we are all in relationships with somebody. Even if you're single, you have relationships with the people sitting around you. You have relationships with the people that you work with. Even if your kids have grown, you've got relationships with grandkids or your kids still, you've got relationships. And so I think it would be worth our time to ask some really hard questions and see, are we living with our relationships being restored by the gospel? Because the gospel brings restoration not just to our dead soul, but it can also bring restoration to our relationships as well. So the main point for today is this. Live out the gospel in your relationships. Live out the gospel in your relationships. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, I just lift up this time to you, um, knowing that your word does not return void. 
knowing that your word is true. And I just pray that we would humbly submit ourselves to the authority of your word and that by your spirit and your power, you would bring us into alignment with what it says, that you would show us where we're living outside of the commands your scripture has given to us so that we can live obediently to you as your people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I think we see three primary things about the gospel and relationships this morning from this passage. And the first one, if you're ever going to have a restored relationship with the foundation of the gospel, the first thing is you must understand the gospel. We must understand what the gospel is. Now, as Christians, relationships are not about what we can get out of it. And that's what we see in the first two verses here in Romans chapter 15. Paul has been going for the last two chapters about how we as Christians should sacrifice for one another. We should sacrifice our wants and desires for one another. We're going to look at Philippians 2 later, but this is a common theme in Paul's letters that in a church community, in a Christian community, your relationship is not about what you can get out of it. Now, there's a whole lot that goes into that. A whole lot of things we could, a lot of trails and, you know, things we could divert to here. But just understand this, from a foundational level, relationships, if you're a believer, is not what you can get out of it. It's not about you benefiting or you getting what you want or me getting what I want. It's about serving and loving the other person. That's what we see modeled by Christ. If we, if we look here at verse 3, I think this is the most important verse here in this passage. Paul says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now that word for there, that's what we would call a grounding statement. It is the reasoning why we do these things. Why do we self-sacrificially serve others? Because that is what Christ did for us. Relationships are not about you and me, not because you and I have some sort of moral high ground on the rest of the world or we were somehow way better than the people down the street from us. Ultimately, our relationships are not about us because Christ modeled for us what it looks like to live sacrificially in relationships with other people. Christ as this verse says, was reproached. He was made fun of. He was reviled. He was persecuted. He was even killed. Yet he remained obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Philippians 2 says. He still loved and served others. The very people who would betray him, the very people who would disown him, who would drive the nails into his hands, he loved those people all the way till the end. And then after he was resurrected still loved them. I think about Peter, for instance. He's just the first one that comes to my mind. The guy who was so strong-willed, who always put his foot in his mouth. I think a lot of us could probably relate to Peter, who always spoke before he thought. Remember, Jesus said, you know, you're going to betray me. And Peter said, I'll never betray you. What did he do? He betrayed Christ. He said, no, I don't know him. Then Christ is resurrected and he comes to Peter. Peter knows what he's done. Christ showed him love and forgiveness, even though Peter had betrayed him, even though Peter had disowned him. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, the purpose in Jesus coming to the earth, earth was to serve and save us, to deliver to us, to accomplish for us the salvation that would reconcile us to God. 
Now, just in that statement alone, consider the love and grace that God has shown us in His Son, Christ Jesus. You and I rebelled against God. We've distrusted God's goodness. We've seen God's way, His commandments, and we've said, we don't want that. We're going to go our own way here. We're going to do our own thing. But He still sent His Son to die in our place so that we could be saved. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me slow down and read this again. God demonstrated His love for us. Here's the key phrase, that while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross knowing how you would betray Him. Christ went to the cross knowing how you and I would sin against Him. That's why it's such an incredible act of love. That's why it displays His love, because He knew that we are that way, that we are sinners, that we distrusted His goodness, we went our own way, and He still went to the cross on our behalf. He still bore our sin payment on our behalf. But not only did Christ continue in obedience despite us reviling Him and making fun of Him, but He even bore our sin on Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Christ didn't just you know, get made fun of and then go to the cross and die. Christ was made fun of, reviled, persecuted His entire life, and then He bore your sin on Himself. He said, no, no, no. Alex is not going to bear the penalty of his sin. I'll put his penalty on myself. You see, my sin requires a payment. Your sin requires a payment. Romans 6.23 says clear as day that the wages of sin is death. So our sin required a payment, required a consequence, because God is holy and He is just, which means there's got to be a payment for our sin. So Christ took that sin on Himself so that He could pay for it on our behalf. And then the last half of of, uh, Romans 6.23 says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now for those of us who place faith in Christ for salvation and repent of our sin, we will be saved because of the work of Christ. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, why do I share? I mean, we just walk straight through the gospel and the life of Jesus. Why is that so important for relationships? Like, how does that impact how you treat your kids or your spouse or, you know, your friend at work? How does it really impact those things? Well, you cannot live in relationships as you were designed to unless you've been made a new creation through the gospel. You will never be able to relate to others as God designed you to unless you've been made a new creation through the gospel. I would be willing to bet, oh man, I say that a lot, I shouldn't bet. <laughs> Betting's not good, I'm not, I'm not endorsing gambling. But I'd be willing to bet that many of us here today have relationships that we struggle in. Are you there? Have you ever been there where you just really struggle with somebody? You're in a relationship that is kind of fractured or broken? Isn't it stressful? Doesn't it make you mad? It's hard, isn't it? We've all been there because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We bring sin into a relationship. They bring sin into a relationship. It causes a lot of struggles. Because of our sin nature, we struggle to show love. We struggle to show forgiveness. We struggle to extend grace. We struggle letting things go. We just struggle. 
don't we? We struggle in our marriages. We struggle in our relationships with others. But here's the thing. If Christ has made us a new creation, if he, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, literally brought us from death to life and made us a new creation, he's restored us, that changes how we approach our relationships. To where when we understand the forgiveness we've been given through Christ, we understand the grace that has been extended to us through the gospel, it changes how we forgive others. It changes how we extend grace to others who don't deserve it. So if you struggle in your relationships, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm just really having a hard time with this relationship and this relationship, step one is to first ask yourself, do you know Jesus? Has Christ changed your life? And I'm not talking about a religious experience where you, you know, come to church and sit on a pew. Just sitting on a pew is not going to save your marriage. Sitting on a pew is not going to help your parenting. But I mean, have you surrendered your Christ to life? Or surrendered your life to Christ? Repented of your sin and placed faith in Him? Because if you haven't done that, there is not a lot of hope for your relationships. But through the gospel, Christ brings restoration to you and brings restoration to your input into those relationships. I think of when I was was preparing this sermon, the first kind of illustration or parable that came to my mind was the parable Jesus calls the unforgiving servant. Are you familiar with this one? The servant who owes, I mean, a lifetime worth of debt goes to the king and he says, King, man, there's no way I can pay this off. There's no way I'll ever be able to pay this off. And the king very graciously says, your debt is forgiven. A a debt he could never pay off, the king forgives. So then this servant, you know, he walks out of the palace. I'm sure he's on cloud nine, super happy. And then one of his compadres, one of his co-workers comes up and says, you know, I can't pay you this, this really small debt that I owe you. I mean, it's like a day's wage. Now keep in mind, this other servant had just been forgiven this massive debt. Then one of his friends comes up and says, hey, I know you, I owe you the 10 bucks from lunch yesterday but I'm not going to be able to pay you back. And instead of forgiving that debt, like he had just been forgiven, he has the guy thrown in jail for not being able to pay off his debt. Now, the king hears about this, and how do you think the king receives that news? Not well, right? The king just forgave this massive, massive debt, and now this unforgiving servant clearly doesn't understand the gravity of what's just been given to him. So the king says, you know, you're... You're thrown in jail. Your debt's not forgiven. You didn't understand really what has been given to you in forgiveness. Now, I think a lot of us, that's how we approach our relationships. You see, we want to be forgiven. We want grace extended to us. We say we're believers. We say we know Christ. We've been forgiven by the gospel. But then we're not quick to extend that forgiveness to other people. If we really understand the gravity of our sin and how great the grace is that God has given us, forgiveness is a natural part of the Christian life. Now, you'll notice, I didn't say it was going to be easy. It's hard to forgive people. It's hard to extend grace to people. But Jesus also never said the Christian life was going to be easy, did he? He said you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to Follow him each day, which means extending grace to people who don't deserve it. 
So application-wise, number one, understand the forgiveness that's been given to you. Understand the forgiveness that's been given to you and then extend that same love to those who have wronged you. When you look at your marriage right now, are you holding on to some sort of bitterness that you just need to let go and forgive that person? Are you holding on to some sort of bitterness or grudge that some friend or family member has done something to you? I know it's hard, but you've got to forgive that person and move on. And that's where we get to the second point here, and just to be sustained by the gospel. Be sustained by the gospel. Look here at verse 4 with me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Loving people can be hard, can't it? You can be honest. I mean, you're in church. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't lie anywhere. But loving people can be very, very, very hard at times. People are sinful. People can be hard to love. It's easy to love people that are easy to love. But when Christ calls you to love someone who really grinds your gears or has done something horrible to you, it's hard to love and forgive that person. I remember um, the girl I dated before, Bria, we had a horrible, horrible breakup. It was, I mean, the worst breakup in the world. I'm not going to tell you everything that happened. I will tell you when we're not on Facebook Live. So if you want to come hear the rest of the story, just come ask me after service and I'll tell you about it. But we had a really bad breakup. There was wrong on both sides. But some of her actions as we were breaking up really ticked me off. They made me super mad. And here's what happened in the following months. Because she had made me so mad, I had started fixating on those problems, on those things she had done to me and began holding a grudge inside of me for how she had treated me during our breakup. You ever been there before? I know. Everyone who's saying yes is telling the truth. And I know all of us have been there before when it comes to holding a grudge, right? You just fixate on the problem. And even if it's not a big thing, that little molehill gets turned into a mountain hill. And so what I noticed in my own life is my heart began to grow super, super cold. I began to hate this person and could not stand her. Didn't want to be around her ever. Never wanted to see her. Would avoid her at all costs. And I just became a very cold-hearted person. Well... As often happens uh, when you're in good biblical Christian community, one of my friends noticed this about me, and he called me on it. He said, hey, I know what she did was wrong, but you shouldn't be holding a grudge like that. You need to forgive her and move on. You know what I said? Whatever. (laughs) I'm in the right here. Y'all would do the same thing, okay? (laughs) Oh, man, you know, I'm in the right. She did this to me. Whatever. But he was right, and the Spirit began to work on me. And what I, what I learned was, you know, as I got more in the Word, as I started diving deeper into Scripture, taking my eyes off of this issue, and instead fixing my eyes on the goodness and graciousness of God, that problem didn't go away. It never went away. But my view on it was a lot better. My heart that was once so cold towards that individual was softened. We're, we're still never going to really probably get along. I mean, now we don't even live in the same town. But the grudge against that person's not there anymore. 
Now, is that because I just somehow pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and I was like, you know what, I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm just going to fix myself here? No, that wasn't it because the way Alex Fisher wanted to go about it was to remain cold-hearted towards this person and hold a grudge. But instead, what God did is through his word and through the Holy Spirit, he melted my cold heart and showed me what it actually looks like to live out forgiveness to this individual. So why do I tell this story? Because you might have situations that you've been involved in in relationships with other people where they have wronged you. And I'm not saying that, you know, they didn't wrong you and your, your view on it is just incorrect. I mean, it might be, but that, that, that's probably not true. People sin against us all the time. But if I pulled away one thing from that experience, it was that when we fixate on the problem, instead of fixing our eyes on the gospel, we will always hold a grudge and not be able to forgive this individual. So look at your life. Where is the grudge you're holding? Where is the bitterness you are holding on to? Maybe even something from 50 years ago. When you fixate your eyes on that thing, instead of fixating your eyes on the gospel, you'll always hold that grudge. And you say, well, I could never let it go. I'll never be able to forgive that individual. Look here at uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement... I love those two words, endurance and encouragement. The scripture plays a huge role when it comes to how we forgive and extend grace to others. It gives us endurance. It reminds us of God's love for us. It reminds us that God ultimately is our avenger. You are not the judge, jury, and avenger of things that have happened to you. That's the Lord's job, not your job. Our job is to show love to all people. It reminds us that our role is simply to love God and glorify Him and extend forgiveness and grace to others. So Scripture gives us endurance, but it also gives us encouragement. It'll soften your heart. It'll break away the cold exterior and show you what it actually means to live in forgiveness. But then I think we, when we view encouragement, we think of encouragement as just a positive thing. But a lot of times, I know this was true for my life during this experience with this girl, is I needed Scripture to bring me back into alignment with what it looked like to live as a believer. And I would say some of us today might be in that same place where you are trying to live your relationships on your own and you just can't do it. You need to look to God's Word to bring you back into alignment of what it looks like to live in relationships as a Christian. So the application from this point would be to fixate on the gospel, not on the person in your life causing the problems. Fixate on the gospel and Christ's work, not on the individual causing problems in your life. But then I love where Paul goes here. Paul always brings it back to the church. And I think we get a glimpse here at the end of of this section of what will happen when we live with a restored relationship with the gospel at the center of our relationships. Look here at verse 6. Paul says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. The gospel leads us to harmony with one another. In the church, the gospel leads us to harmony with one another. Now, many things across church history have divided the church. Many things have divided churches and split churches over the course of church history. Things like doctrine or ethics or moral issues. But what we see today, most of the time when churches split, it's not over doctrine. It's not over an ethical issue. It's not over usually even a moral issue. 
most churches split today because they've stopped living out the gospel in their relationships. They've stopped coming to church and living out the gospel in Christian community. Instead, like we talked about last week, they began focusing on the wrong things, and that led to a split. Things like, well, I didn't get invited to this social. Now I'm never going to talk to that person again. They took away my favorite program. I'm done with this place. I'm moving on. No one handed me a bulletin this morning. I guess they just don't care about me. I know that sounds crazy to maybe say some of those things. Maybe you've thought some of those things before. And you know what? Some, it's okay to, to maybe be disappointed about some of those things. But what happens when we don't live with the gospel at the center of our mindset in terms of relationships is we fixate on those things. And those things might seem small while I'm reading them off, but if we fixate on them, they grow into a mountain. They grow into this massive issue, and it ends up dividing or causing a split in our church. That's what happens when we fixate on worldly issues instead of fixating on the gospel. For a church that fixates on the gospel, that is a true gospel community, we get a picture here that we're going to be a church in harmony with one another and be able to glorify the Lord with one voice. To glorify the Lord as one church. The harmony we can experience through the gospel is central to our worship. If we're not unified as a church, we cannot worship God as God has called us to. We're called to be one voice. Now, That doesn't mean we're going to sound like one voice. We might not all be gifted in singing. I know I'm not. But the point here is that we'll be worshiping God from a place of unity, not disunity. If we worship with a disunified spirit, we're not worshiping God as he intended us to. So what what I would encourage you to do is if you've got an issue with someone in this room, or you've got an issue with someone in this church, that needs to be resolved. That needs to be taken care of. And it starts when, when each person in this room starts viewing relationships through a gospel lens, through understanding the forgiveness that we have been given. It just takes one person to get a split going. It just takes one person to disunify the church. Don't be that person. Strive for unity and to live out the gospel in every relationship here. But then notice how Paul ends here. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, just for some context here on the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a group of people of both Jews and Gentiles. And they did not get along. They did not agree with one another. They had different backgrounds, different upbringings. And Paul is saying here, listen, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've come from, welcome each other into the fellowship. Because the gospel welcomes all different types of people. The gospel saves all kinds of people. Think about the life of Jesus. If he really is our example on how to live out relationships, Jesus ate with the tax collector. He ate with the prostitute. He ate with the leper. He ate with the repentant Pharisee when they were repentant. He ate with the Jew. He ate with the Greek, the pagan. He spent time with all different types of people. Jesus welcomed them in. Let me just ask you a question here. If our church in three to five years looked different than it looks right now because we welcomed in every person that would be willing to hear the gospel, what would you think? What would you think? 
If our church was filled with people who have drug addictions, really rough backgrounds, have had multiple relationships and partners, maybe vote differently than you, look differently than you, have a different job than you, how would you respond to that? How, how, would, how would you feel? If you feel threatened by that, I would say you don't really understand what the gospel has the power to do. But if you hear that and you say, that's what we need to be doing, that's who we need to be reaching, then you're looking at this through a gospel lens. You see, the gospel can save anybody. And so we welcome anyone who's willing to hear. Consider the Apostle Paul who wrote this statement. Paul persecuted Christians. He held the coats of the Pharisees who stoned Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. If the gospel can save Paul, if the gospel can save me and you, it can save anybody. So when we look at our church, when we look at our relationships through a gospel lens, it shows us that we welcome anybody. And when we live out the gospel in our relationships, it drives us to a unity with one another that is based on the gospel and not based on worldly preferences. So let's kind of round this out here. Every single one of us are in a relationship with someone. Yet for being so common, we are often really, really bad at those relationships. Because I, well, I know for me, a lot of times, I like to do things my way, not the Lord's way. Have y'all ever done that before? When I do things my way, it does not end well. So over the next five weeks, we're going to ask some questions about what does it look like to do marriage God's way? What does it look like to do parenting God's way and do church relationships God's way and have relationships with lost people God's way? And I think this is going to be a great study for us because we need to take a step back and examine how are we living out the gospel in our relationships? Because if you have a broken relationship, God can restore that relationship. At minimum, he can restore your heart in that relationship. I learned a long time ago, you can only control you. You can only control what you do. And so I would just ask you or encourage you, don't hold that grudge. Don't hold that bitterness. Forgive that person and look to Christ. Because in your darkest moment, Christ forgave you. In your darkest moment, Christ went to the cross for you. So just some next steps to think about. Maybe some homework if you want to look at it that way. I'm, there's going to be no exam, I promise you. But the first thing is, is consider copying Christ's love in your relationships. Copy the way Christ would love in your relationships with others. This week, it's going to get really real for a second. When that person cuts you off in traffic, love them like Christ would love them. When your kid does something to you, your grandkid does something to you, and you're like, why in the world do they do that? Love them like Christ would love them. Compassion, love, forgiveness, grace, mercy. Secondly, fixate on Scripture, not what someone has done to you. If you're not in the Word on a consistent basis, you're not going to be able to live out the relationships God's designed for you, period. You need to be in the Word and fix your eyes on Scripture. But the third thing is welcome in the outcast in your life. If there's someone you know that God's laid on your heart to invite to church, and if you think, well, this is not the kind of person that we have in our church, no, that's wrong. Invite all people, of all people groups, of all backgrounds, of all sin types. They all need to be here, hearing the gospel. They need to hear the gospel from you. They need to be welcomed into our community. 
Well, there's, there's one other thing I want to close with just by way of, I guess, invitation and practicality. If what we're talking about this morning interests you, which I hope it interests you, is what we're doing for the next five weeks. But if you're like, I want to go deeper on some of these things and talk more about what does it look like to live out the gospel in everyday relationships... If you want to do that, we're having a small group meet at our house on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock where we're going to unpack a lot more of what this means to live out the gospel in our relationships. And it's for people of all ages from all walks of life. We have dinner because we're Baptists and we've got childcare. And so please, if you want, if this interests you, I'm not going to say my address because we're on Facebook Live and I don't want everyone to know where I live. But if you want to come, just come and talk to me or talk to my wife and we would love to have you out to our house at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night to dive deeper into what does this look like. Because although today was very theoretical in that, you know, live out the gospel in your relationships, here's what the gospel is. Over the next five weeks, next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like on a Monday and Tuesday to live out the gospel in your marriage. It's going to get very real, very practical. And so um, I just encourage you, if that interests you, to come talk to me. I wanted to make sure I get that in. Well, we're going to have a time of response. And this is a time for you just to think about and meditate on what God has spoken to you through this message. And if you're here today and you want to have prayer or maybe you're not saved and you want to be saved, I just encourage you to come up and talk to me or you can come pray on these steps. Um, It's just a symbol of, you know, Lord, I'm giving to you whatever situation is going on in my life. But this is also a time of worship. So I would encourage you, um, after I pray, stand with me and we'll sing together in worship.